0: Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors, and ministers Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message Welcome to Springboard, my dear friends. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you both. Yes. Thank
1: you. I checked my, my BP, my temperature. And everything before I came to the studio Just so I could comply with your (laughs) (laughs) Health is a big subject All over the world And I mean just coming Preparing for this program I was acknowledging that three of the eight Millennium Development Goals Are centered on the subject of health Reducing child mortality Improving maternal health And then combating HIV, AIDS, malaria And other diseases I mean there is no serious developmental discussion That can be held Without recourse to the matter of health So let's start this discussion by asking How crucial, how important is healthcare To the national developmental effort Let me start with you, the man they call
2: Piwari Thank you, Albert I think health is such an important subject That uh, if you look at the Universal Declaration of Human Rights um, In 1948 And uh, Article 25 It states that Everyone has a right to a standard of living adequate for the health and well-being of himself and of his family, including food, clothing, housing, medical care, and necessary social services and a right to security in event of unemployment, sickness, disability, widowhood or old age or other lack of, in the, of livelihood in circumstances beyond his control. And in those states, motherhood and childhood are entitled to special care and assistance, and all children, whether born in or out of wedlock, shall enjoy the uh, same social protection. And then if you look at our uh, 1992 constitution, uh, Article 34 also talks about health being one of the major responsibilities of government, and the president is actually enjoined uh, 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 by the constitution to report on the state of health, uh, you know, doing his annual report. So it's one of the major, uh, uh, you know, things that are used to quantify um, the level of development, socioeconomic development of a country. And if our president, Nkrumah, um, said in his words that uh, we shall measure our progress by the improvement in the health of our people. The welfare of our people is our chief pride, and it is by this that we act to be judged. So right. this shows how important health is. But um, coming uh, down home, health is important because, um, like, the, one of the... Um, documents in the Ministry of Health uh, The policies and the Ministry of Health Are creating wealth through health Right. Um, you need health so that you can maintain um, A strong Vibrant workforce Which is innovative Which can adapt Which uh, can uh, raise productivity To the levels that will ensure Sustained economic development mm-hmm. So um, without help, health Health Then you, you, it is a non-starter. You are not going to go anywhere, right? Let me come to you, um, Doctor Philip Amu.
1: Are we doing enough? Opening thoughts. Are we doing enough to stay
3: healthy as a nation? (laughs) I would say we are doing something, but we are not yet up to the optimum level. Um, When looking at health, one need need to to look at the various dimensions that come into play. Um, health matters are dealt with in various categories or we say ingredients of health care uh, which include health promotion disease and injury prevention and then um, curative aspect that is uh, treatment for acutely ill people and then rehabilitation of those who are disabled as a result of disease or injury so if you look at that uh, four components of what a healthcare, a very good healthcare system should have, you realize that um, as a country, right from the beginning, our healthcare has been, you know, operated upon, um, you know, mainly on the curative angle. So we call that medicalization of the health system. So everything is about disease, injury, restoration of health. And then pushing back the uh, preventive, the promotive, and then the you know prevention and promotive aspects, which are very crucial. Because if those angles are not secured, what happens is that the bushfire of diseases and injuries overwhelm the curative system. So this is what we are seeing in the country. As in fact, the the current the state of the of healthcare in Ghana. Um, You know, it, it's an indication of how we've placed our balance within these four elements. So I'm, I would say that we... W- walk us through the four elements again for the benefit of our, our listeners. Yes, um, every good health care system must have these four basic ingredients. One, there must be a strong element of promoting health and well-being. The second one is that there must be a conscious and collective effort at preventing diseases, injuries, and minimizing disasters. These are very important. Right. Then the third one is the curative. That is, people must be quickly, those sick must be quickly handled and dealt with. And then the fourth one, it, we must have um, you know, a system that deals or take care of those who are disabled, um, you know, as a result of of of, of injuries or sicknesses, and, and what? And how do you capture that the fourth part?
1: Yeah. You, you, have l- the, you have the preventive, the promotive, the curative. So the rehabilitation. Ha- rehabilitation. Rehabilitation,
3: right. Yeah, the rehabilitation, right. you know, services. So these ingredients are very crucial. And I'm saying that the symptoms of the healthcare system we have in Ghana, overwhelming of the National Health Insurance, and, you know, so many people reporting in clinics, you know, all over, and, uh, you know, still dealing with basic diseases like cholera, you know, and so on and so forth are all indicative that we've not had the balance properly right. and and from you know increment stamp now we know that our healthcare system has been medicalized in other words excessive focus on curative right yeah, you mm-hmm. know interesting That's opening it. thoughts and we will explore
1: these subjects further but just by way of connecting you to our listeners just give us a sense of um doctor what you do um, in at the public health unit of Colibu, what do you do in 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 in,
3: a, in summary what do you do in, in your unit yeah Public health um, uh, is an aspect of um, health care that looks mainly at groups of people, population. So whilst the clinician, the normal clinicians look at individuals, patients one-on-one, we look at the whole system collectively right. and say, yes, how many hypertensives are we having? How many burns um, are we having? are the services we have adequate um, could we expand it could we put more human resou- you know resources and so on and so forth right. and then uh, you know so we direct the health services in general and then we also look at the preventive and the promotive aspect of oh, health. Right. That we'll, we'll be looking at some more details. I'll, try, I'll be trying to find
1: out along the line what is the biggest thing that kills us and how can we fight it. But let me ask you, Dr. Ampoma, I know you, you, you put people's lives back together. You, reconstructive plastic surgery and burns. Very, very big, word, big words. But do, do you use it for only the, the saving of lives, or you also use it for decorative purposes, like plastic
2: surgery that will help somebody's nose to become pointed if they want to. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> well, uh, we, do, we, do, we, do, we do both, but um, in Ghana, I'd say, largely, we do the reconstructive uh, the life-saving bits. That's because, one, we have issues with manpower, logistics, etc., so our priority is more to do with uh, reconstruction. It. We also do offer those services, but you have capacity, are... but you don't direct it towards people who are. Uh, actually, we have the capacity, but then because of the numbers, the need is so great that you find that you know we do focus more on the um, you know treating those with severe disease. Of course, um, we do do um, the cosmetic bit, but it's very small. I well, would say about two to five percent of our practice. Sometimes you
1: watch you you, you watch accident scenes on our televisions and you see people. Badly damaged, and it, it's heartbreaking to see them. When you, as a professional, are dealing with these situations, I mean, I, I, I heard a comment on one of the accidents that happened the gas, is it the, the, the tanker explosion, that, yeah. and some of the badly mutilated bodies. In doing your work, what are some of the things that go to your mind? Do you have emotional challenges in dealing with such sensitive
2: cases? Uh, Certainly, I mean, uh, one would have to be inhuman not to feel something because once you see your fellow human being suffering, I mean, definitely pull something out of you. And uh, the other issue is also when you find that there are lives that can be saved, but then because of, by virtue of the fact that you are working in a third world country, as we call ourselves, Mm. then the infrastructure, the logistics, manpower, other things that need to be brought to bear, so that such a life can be saved uh, are not there. So people who should ordinarily survive uh, end up succumbing. And so that can be quite uh, uh, discouraging and, you know, quite heartbreaking. And, in fact, many of my staff, the nurses, etc., so you know, sometimes after working so hard to try and save someone, that when a person eventually uh, passes away, you can see that there's a atmosphere of, you know, depression in the whole place, that you need to try and even, you know, help people to, you know, get back you know, to themselves and continue the effort. So it is it is quite challenging now. All right, so let's talk. Um
1: Doctor Ampuma walk us through some of the major changes that have taken place in global healthcare delivery in the past decade. I, I know that as time goes on with developments in different fronts, I mean there's been serious developments that and been traveled to different countries, what are some of the things that are being done in other countries in healthcare
2: execution? Yes um uh, thank you. That's a very interesting uh, subject. Uh, and, uh, I think uh, we would find that a lot of changes, or what we call mega trends, have been seen in terms of global healthcare over the last decade. Right. And um, first thing is in- innovation, and um, you know, uh, use of technology right. to influence um, you know healthcare delivery. Um, We talk of telemedicine, robotics, all that minimally invasive surgery where now instead of doctors making a very big cut, uh, you know, we we can just through a very small uh, hole, you know, go into the body and do all sorts of things, interventional, radiology. So all these are technology-driven innovations in healthcare that have made uh, doctors uh, be able to achieve certain results that hitherto were not uh, possible. And then... uh, in terms of imaging and uh, laboratory techniques and all that, one of the key things is this human genome project where now we'll be able to decode the human genome so that we're now um, uh, there's this uh, idea of pharmacogenomics where you look at an individual's DNA and then you're able to synthesize drugs that will suit that particular individual. So, you look at uh, Albert as an individual. And then uh, look at his genes, so from studying his genes, you may know that you are prone to A, B, C conditions. So one, you, you can introduce the preventive uh, you know, aspect of, of health so that you, are, if you're supposed to avoid certain things, you start avoiding them ab initio. Great. So that you don't just live in ignorance and develop those. And then when those things do develop, they are dr- the drugs, make sure that those drugs are particularly suited. You know, uh, in America, for instance, an adverse drug uh, reaction results in over 100,000 deaths every year, you know, from, you know, but uh, it's thought that when you have these uh, in place, then it's it's going to reduce the risk of some of these things. And, of course, IT has also helped so much. IT has helped uh, in terms of data collection, especially looking at it from the preventive side of things or the big picture of health, you know, what is killing the people uh, how often and, uh, you know, where the uh, problems are. You can even monitor epidemics real-time, you know, incidents of various epidemics. So all these, uh, in terms of even the data management and then how data is passed on between health workers and how we uh, manage the patient between uh, different health uh, sections. Like say if I write a prescription for a patient, it goes to pharmacy if with the appropriate IT infrastructure, the pharmacist knows what particular drugs to give and it's not possible for the pharmacy to give him certain drugs which the patient is allergic to right? and that sort of thing. So all those things help. And then you have the uh, rise in age of the population. And this is, uh, you know, especially in the Western world where people are now living longer. So geriatric medicine has now come to the fore so that uh, they develop ways of, uh, you know, taking care of the older other uh, folk and things and then right you mentioned something that caught my attention okay, immediately right. when you when talked about the fact that
1: um, y- 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 you look at diseases that have are spreading for over wider sections of the populace yeah. and how to use data data collection to deal with them and that falls right within your purview Dr. Amu yeah. um, you look at places like the Centre for um, Disease yeah. Control yeah. in other parts of the world and the rapid response to emerging threats or epidemics that are breaking out. Are we keeping pace with these developments in our part of the world?
3: Well, um, in keeping pace, uh, you need to ask yourself, where are we starting from? Right. Actually, we're starting from nothing, manual, and paper. And now we realize that with the introduction of technology, ICT, much could be done faster in real time and uh, you know, to support our interventional efforts. Uh, Ghana is still grappling seriously with um, health information, Uh, right from its documentation from the health facility to its uh, collection and then uh, storage processing and then transmission and its analysis and, you know, interpretation and usage for Uh, intervention. There are serious, serious challenges, you know, uh, with with regard to, you know, um, um, data collection using ICT. And it is one of the major innovations Ghana need to focus on if we are to move forward, uh, you know, in terms of our uh, healthcare. The, 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 the other aspect is is i wanted to introduce briefly is the healthcare financing there has been major major innovations in the way healthcare is financed and um again you know using the various insurance system you know now everywhere in the world paying at the point of service delivery is being discouraged so that you have a system where through an insurance or through a system where um, you deposit money. And when you are ill acutely, you are attended to where you are not demanded to pay full payment at the point of service. Right. You know. And there are innovative ways of, 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 of going around it, you know, uh, in the insurance system. And one of our main challenges, again, in Ghana, boils down to the data. How much, you know, what's, uh, you know, the number of malaria cases we have uh, monthly or yearly. The data is so porous. Um, The um, National Health Insurance attempted it, and then the reality faced them. They are having far more than the number they've anticipated when they started, they projected. You know, the analysis from the actual and so on. We have, you know, gone far beyond that. And the double bedding of disease where we are having lifestyle diseases such as hypertension, uh, heart diseases, uh, cholesterol and these strokes. problems. These are strokes. These are very difficult to, you know, treat. we don't treat them, we manage them. And therefore, they are quite expensive. These were not anticipated because the data was not revealing at the time the actuaries were working on the health insurance. So, again, the the healthcare financing would have to update itself quickly and be innovative on the ground. And the basis of that is the ICT in information. Right. I mean, how we gather our data. Right. So, as I'm saying, the fundamentals, which is data documentation collection, then story transmission, analysis, and using it robustly to, to inform the, the the, the, the bigger picture is seriously lacking and that is where a lot of investment must go you know if we are to make any headway i'm going to cross over to the subject of
1: occupational health philip you are a specialist in that area how what should we expect from companies as basic in terms of health care of their their workers are we is this something that we know a lot about in this part of the world? Do companies have health policies? Do their staff are their staff being taken care of?
3: Speak to that issue for me, Philip. Right. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I think the issue of occupational health um, is a serious one. When you get to Japan, the way their health care is structured, there is a healthcare structured targeting workers, one targeting school. School, those uh, students, the others targeting pregnant people, you know. So, the workforce, you know, takes over sixty percent of, of health attention in Japan, in the developed country, you know. So, but here in Ghana, I mean, we've had a lot of challenge with 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 occupational health, healthcare in in a workplace, you know. Now. Let me say clearly here that the 1992 Constitution is very clear on this matter. Article 24.1 says clearly that moved health in the workplace to human rights level so that under no circumstance would an employer say, because I don't have money, I don't have the technology, I can employ people and use them in dangerous work environment that will harm them or kill them. There's no, you know, the, the, the Constitution move it to the domain of human rights. So none of those explanations will hold water. Then when you check 36, 10, and 11, I think 36, 10, and 11, health for workers is an economic policy. So it's, been, it's been a trust that in development, health becomes fundamental and 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 so, at the constitutional level it's well grounded so that' it's in not real execution, what does that translate to in a workplace when you
1: walk into a health place, what are the signs that or what i what if you were inspecting if as a consultant, if you walk to advice what what would you expect to see in place in
3: any organization that's right now, so again, from the constitutional level, there need to be a national level policy which we are still grappling with. We've not sorted it out yet. And then at the enterprise level, what is needed is the, <clears throat> the safety and health policy for the enterprise. And that is drawn from the national policy. And it's a statement of intent that employers and workers have agreed to that. We will do our best in product, product, uh, productivity. However, we will, do it, we will not do it in such a way that our health and safety will be harmed. So that policy or the statement of intent is crucial. Then after the policy, you needed to see an organizational structure backing that policy. In other words, clear lines of responsibility, the role of managers in health and safety, the role of employees also in health and safety, working together to promote the health and safety culture in the workplace to minimize accident, reduce, you know, uh, exposures, dangerous exposures and other and, 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 and problems associated with work. Let me here say that by my experience in Kolibu Teaching Hospital, it's so sad that we're having major, major injuries as a result of workplace, you know, negligence of safety measures. I mean, daily burns, um, you know, uh, amputation of hands and so on. And even the more wicked one is what we are seeing in the ICT industry those in data entry those in the back, those who sit for long sedentary workers mm. back pain there is a slow epidemic of back pain among the young people 35 to 40 when they are reaching the peak of their career they damage their back already mm. because the technology of ICT coming did not come with the commensurate you know, pro, uh, you know, protective and preventive, or the health component, which require the ergonomic chair, the knowledge how to adjust your chair and to listen to your back when you are working, when you have reached the limit, when to stand, exercise, and so on. These knowledge are not available... The employers and then the employees are not working together to promote this culture in the workplace. So they get to work, focus on production, production, production at the expense of their own health. And then another wicked thing is that the compensation system. If your health gets damaged in the workplace and you are seeking compensation, it's lamentable. You know, you go through a long process only to get peanuts. So the, the deterrent measures are not there. I mean, why wouldn't I mean somebody employ you? I mean, we've had all this problem of people losing their ear. Ear plug, just ear plug to, to save workers from, 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 from the excessive noise. These employers will not buy it because they prefer that. Well, I mean, get, um, you know, a noise-induced hearing loss, lose your hearing. After all, how much would I pay? You get it? So there's no deterrent. So this is the situation we have. For occupational health to work properly, there is a national-level prerequisite and then enterprise-level effort. If the national-level prerequisite fails, which I'm saying today, we needed the occupational health policy, the integrated one, we are, what we have now is scattered and you know it's not useful. It's not. It's not. It's not doing so much. It's but it's
1: very clear from what you're saying that um, enforcement standardisation is much easier when there is an over, over, overarching policy overriding what individuals are doing. Without that, it will lead to a discretionary interpretation of what is required of each organisation. Nice. Let me ask you about alternative medicine. There's always. A very interesting interplay between traditional medicine and then the medical practice, orthodox medical medical practice as we know it. Is there a place in this whole discussion for alternative medicine? What do you think of the traditional medicine um, um, practitioners, the acupuncturists, the 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 chiropractors? Is there a place for alternative medicine? And have you had experience of its practice, effective practice, in any part of the world?
2: Yes, uh, certainly there is a place for what we call uh, alternative uh, medicine. Um, and this encompasses other herbal medicine, acupuncture, all those um, other areas that you, you did mention earlier. And um, in fact, I had a personal experience in Taiwan uh, where I worked for a time and uh, in the same hospital you know where we have the consulting rooms down the corridor you have the chinese traditional medical practitioners there but then and these the practice has been so standardized so these people have been through formal training and they know their limitations they know when to, and we also are educated about what indications are to refer uh, you know to them and vice versa, so that with people who have certain kinds of problems, which traditional medicine has been proven to be efficacious, they are referred to see the traditional practitioners, and they do get good results. Our, but coming back home to Ghana, we we have a situation where there's this sort of uh, I don't know what I call it animosity or suspicion, or suspicion right. between uh, you know the medical practice, the orthodox medicine, and uh, you know the traditional. Parties, I don't know whether it's a throwback from the colonial era where you know the orthodox medicine was introduced by the British colonizers, so and they therefore saw whatever was native as other, uh, you know, primitive and that sort of thing. And also, our native people haven't also uh, had the courage to uh, subject their um, various remedies to scientific and the rigors of scientific proof. So, th- th- this thing does. Exist where orthodox practitioners, you know, don't consider uh, the other side as you know, people who are worth following, and then, you know, there's we that you also
1: don't, of, don't consider you, yeah, but, then, right. but, then, but,
2: then, but then I think that they, this, this is, this is, there's opportunity for uh, collaboration, and I think some efforts are being made in that direction, right? Um, Dr. I wanted to ask you a question that was, was bugging my mind. Um.
1: The, the, the healthcare delivery system is riddled with, with strikes and and brain drain, even though it, it seems to be on the decline, that, that part seems to be on the decline. But people interpret that as lack of patriotism or, or, or not caring about the, the needs of people. Well, a quick reaction to that.
2: Yes, uh, I think uh, strikes are things that ideally shouldn't uh, happen because uh, when medical... Personnel go on strike, it does have a toll on, uh, you know, human lives and so it's something to be avoided. But uh, I must say that it it cuts both ways. Sometimes uh, uh, you find that decision makers who are aware of some of the factors that are, uh, you know, creating, uh, you know, unrest among uh, workers should be proactive, should take proactive action instead of waiting for uh, strikes before they take action. In fact, over I've, I've, I've been passing for the last fifteen years, more than fifteen years, and uh, you find that the most effective tool for getting uh, you know leaders or decision makers to the table is to threaten a strike, which is very unfortunate. Right. I think this thing should should not should not
0: Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Oakran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages. At Albert N.E. and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences, and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert. at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on 233 You may also subscribe to Amazon.com.